This is Tech Talk Today, episode 277. Welcome into Tech Talk today. I'm Chris. And I'm Angers. Hello, Angers. We have lots of Google stuff to talk about, but we're going to kick things off with a follow-up story. We have been chronicling the saga of the gray key box. Oh, yes. And there is an update in the story. Oh, is it locked out? Not yet, but it's on the way. So quick reminder, the gray key is a law enforcement device that they can hook up over a lightning port to an iOS device. And they install some background malware, and eventually it'll crack the pin code. It's about $15,000 for the limited box, $30,000 for the most expensive box. And Apple is doing their part to brick those and turn them into paperweights. iOS 11.4, currently being beta tested, includes USB restricted mode that introduces a week-long expiration date on access to the lightning port on your iOS devices. So if you haven't used your phone for about a week... You haven't unlocked it for a week. It turns off the port. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That is so... That is... Wow. It's simple and yet very effective. And, of course, the charging wires still work, so you can still charge the phone after a week. Wow. So now law enforcement has to hustle, but when they get that phone... That's right. They've got a... (laughs) Yeah, it's still possible. Come on, where's the 24 countdown sound? (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it's still possible, but they have to hustle. Um, it, now, in the developer documentation, Apple says the new mode is meant to bolster security on the iPhone and on the iPad. They write, to improve security for a locked iOS device to communicate with USB accessories, you must connect an accessory via the lightning connector to the device while it is unlocked or enter your device passcode while it's connected at least once a week. Okay, so if I don't, this is such a joke, if I don't unlock my phone for a week, um, it goes into this mode and then I can just unlock it and it resets that yeah. week? Yeah, it, it's out of the okay. mode. So I could see law enforcement maybe forcing somebody to unlock their phone under duress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? now that's a little trickier. It depends on the type of lock that it is. There's some legal protections there. Mm-hmm. What's nice, though, is that uh, USB restricted mode is being paired with other new security features that have been introduced with iOS 11. So you've got expiration dates now for local backups, which I think is also a great idea. So you don't just have all these backups that are sitting around on the phone that could be exploited. Uh-huh. And uh, now you also have the uh, the timeout uh, option, which means the gray key, um, the thing is, is really the gray key is going to become less and less effective as Apple sort of turns the knob on these things. Mm-hmm. And that's before they've even found the particular exploit the gray key is using at a software level. Right. So the, regarding the backups, though, on the phone, like most backups, well, at least not me, I do it on my computer, but... It's to the cloud. Yeah. So is it talking about that as well? Or my does, understanding, it, or does it extend to that? My understanding is, is that there's a backup process that executes locally on the phone, and then that gets synced off. I so see. there's files that sit around. Um, and also, if you have an Apple Watch, uh, those backups get the Apple Watch backs up to the phone, and then the phone backs up to whatever cloud or iTunes or whatever. Okay. So there's those kind of backup files sitting around on the phone. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I, why not clean them up? Because they're also just taking up space. Right. But you better buy those gray keys while you still can. <laughs> also, your Android devices are going to be getting more valuable along with iOS devices because Valve just announced Steam Link. For iOS 
and Android apps. So Steam Link before was a dedicated hardware box that was about $100, HDMI coming up the back, and Ethernet could get on 5 gigahertz wireless if you were lucky. Um, and it would stream video games from your PC. So you spin up the game on the PC, and all of the keyboard and the mouse and all of the video game play gets sent to the Steam Link, hooked up to your big flat-screen television. Mm. The idea was PC games on your TV. Well, now Valve is introducing the Steam Link app, which is going to be available on iOS and on Android, that will let you turn your existing device into a Steam Link receiver. Well, that seems like a really good evolution. Yeah. And the program is going to enable users to stream games over 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi or Ethernet. And they're also allowing you to stream them from Linux host PCs. So it's not just Windows and Mac, but also Linux machines can be the PC that you're actually streaming the games from, which is really cool. Yeah, that is epic. That's also the other thing that's nice about this is it's probably going to be likely that you'll start seeing projects like Project Moonlight and others that are designed to, to, to make software Steam Link receivers get a big boost. And the reason why that's really nice is because you're going to be able to, say, load Moonlight or a Steam Link client on, say, a Chromebook or on a really low-end PC that can now stream from a very high-end PC somewhere else in your house. So you can buy one nice gaming rig, and all of the computers in your house will benefit from that computer's graphics capabilities. And I've experimented a bit with Steam Link. We have one here in the studio. It's pretty good. You know, we run it over Ethernet, so I think that helps, and it it really is responsive. We've had some fun with it. And this is just a great addition, like Ann just saying. It's like, now you just got all these extra devices you've gotten access to. Yep. Do you want to play PC games on your TV? I don't know about that. I did, but I don't know if everybody will. Because, you know, like, the the PC games on your TV are one thing if they're controller-based. But when you're playing them on an iPad or an iPhone, that's a totally different game control experience. You know, touchscreen versus controller or a mouse and keyboard. Right. Well, it's like trying to, you know, it's playing Minecraft on the computer and then trying to play it on an iPad. It's really weird how our son was able to, like, just... Pick it up, no problem. Like, go right in between the two. But I tried to play Minecraft couldn't, on the I iPad. I couldn't do it. it no. No. It, Pocket Edition just it doesn't work for my brain. Nope, nope mine, mine either. And he just flips through. He just whips through it. I know. It's, it's, it is really weird to watch that. Although, he did say to me the other day, he's like, is there any way to hook up a keyboard to my iPad so I could mm. use the the keyboard when I'm playing Pocket Edition? I don't think it supports that, Dylan. I, I, yeah. I tried it a little while ago for me, and I couldn't get it to work. Although, like when it comes to the Apple TV or the NVIDIA Shield, which is uh, my favorite set-top box, those do have several controller options available to them. Mm -hmm. And in the case of the NVIDIA Shield, you might be able to just hook up a USB keyboard and mouse because it's got a couple of USB ports on the back. So that might might just close the gap. Uh, Maybe it keeps me off that Switch sauce because Nintendo just launched a demo of an online network that's going to add some retro console support, although it looks a little underwhelming for the Switch. As well as cloud saves. I was looking at that going, you know, that that looks really compelling for a family gaming system. But now this, this lets you take advantage of existing hardware and an existing Steam game library that you already own. And now you can move it to a place that's going to be family friendly where there is a difference when it's a whole family social experience playing a game on the TV versus you play by yourself on your phone or on a handheld. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you and I both love playing Mario with the kids, mm-hmm. and it's so much more fun when we can all sort of share the experience. Right. And this, I think, is going to bring that for a bunch of great games now that we're only sort of locked off to the PC. It's pretty cool. 
Speaking of pretty cool, Ting. Go to last.ting.com and pay for what you use. Ting is a fair price for however much you talk, text, and data you use. Nationwide coverage, which is great, because they also have a CDMA and a GSM network you can choose from. And there's no contracts. There's no determination fees. You just pay for what you use. Your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. Whatever you use, that's what you pay. I love the way Ting averages it out, too. Some months, like when I'm traveling down to Texas, maybe we'll use a little bit more data. But the month that I'm back, then the data goes back down again. And so it sort of evens out in a way that has been remarkable over the four years that I've been a Ting customer. Before we moved over to Ting, because of work and whatnot, I, I had several lines, and it was an unbelievable, it was almost a car payment, almost a car payment in monthly cellular bills. Now, with three lines, we're paying around $40 a month. You can see your usage at a glance, you can take complete control of your account, and you can set usage alerts through the Ting control panel. And they have great customer service whenever you get stuck. You can buy a fresh, clean device right from Ting or bring your own. Check their BYOD page. And remember, they've got that CDMA and that GSM network, so there's a whole bunch of devices you can bring. And they're always whipping out new stuff, too. It's always worth just taking a look. They also have a great active blog with good tips and industry insight. It's a great company. They're owned by two cows. They've been around for a long time, and they're making mobile simpler. And you can get started by going to last.ting.com and get $25 off a device, or if you bring a device, $25 in service credit. That's last.ting.com. Every year, Google I.O. brings lots of news, mostly about things that I'm never going to use. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start with Google Photos, which I have an on and off relationship. Yeah. I'm currently not using. Oh, really? But considering going back to it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's great. Google Photos, I think, is one of their best products. And the company is making it even easier to fix up photos in their Photos app, uh, like with obvious suggestions for rotations, fixing brightness, adding a little bit of pop of color. They're mm. taking a lot of stuff they've used with the Google Assistant uh, AI stuff where it's like, here's a photo we suggest for you and bringing those tools just into the editor. I think you would like it, actually. I think I would, too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, the photos thing is a particular, like, uh, challenge because it's so much and you really want to be, you want it to be uh, well backed up. But then the other thing you don't really think about until, like, years later is you also want to be able to, like, go back and just retrieve a quick picture. Yes. I run into that, actually, more often than you'd think I would. But mm. I do have over 100,000 photos in iPhoto. <laughs> yeah. And so I wouldn't be able to upload my whole library. Are you using iPhoto still or actual Apple or, Photos? Or I'm sorry, now? it's called Photos now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm just, but you're not using the iCloud get backup. Get off my lawn. Right? No, I'm not. Woo! No. You do well, have no, backup. No, I have Backblaze. Yeah. But um, I actually, I keep only two weeks worth of phone, uh, pictures on my phone. I sync, I try to sync every couple weeks or so, but... Man, the physical syncing is just so stupid. I ran into the worst problem with my music last week that maybe I'll tell you after the show. Oh, really? It's it that was, bad you don't want to say it on air? It was so bad. <laughs> like, I guess, so you can edit a playlist from your phone, you can edit a playlist from your computer, but uh, they don't know how to talk to each other. No way. There's, yeah. Oh, one of them is sync stuff. One right, of them is right. dominant. Well, I do tell it to send new music to my phone, hmm. but... But that's it. It's like downloads. That's it. I don't know. It was just, it was complicated. And I ended up losing my playlist. It oh. removed a bunch of purchases. This is, this is like three weeks in a row that I've had issues with, yeah. with music and, and iTunes. Imagine so. if that was happening to your photos. That would, that would be, be horrible. Well, you know what? That would be a line too far right Honestly, there. I might, it might be happening. I don't know. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, uh, so the thing I like about it is you can get an app, obviously, mm -hmm. that uploads them from your phone, or you can get one, on, if you got a Mac or Windows, you can just have a little agent that runs in the background, and when you put them on your computer, then it sends them up 
see, okay, this is why I haven't turned on iCloud. I take a lot of pictures and I don't need them all saved. I go through and I prune them and I save a lot of memes, you know, to send to people. Well, check this out. Okay. So Google Photos is adding a new feature where it'll go through and it'll say, hey, uh, here's 35 screenshots you've taken in the last six months. Do you really still want screenshots in your photo library? Here's a bunch of old photos of receipts. Would you like me to either get rid of these or just remove these to a receipt folder. Mm-hmm. So it goes through and notices like uh, a lot of like uh, these two photos are almost identical. You could keep the better one and then right. just archive the not so good one. Like it's doing a lot of that now. What's archive? I don't know exactly. <laughs> okay. It doesn't sound like delete though. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, right. It sounds much safer than gone <laughs> <Yeah>. forever. <laughs> they, uh, they have um, kind of a kind of a more compelling sharing feature set that they're adding too, which I've, this is the thing that really kind of actually turned me off from Google photo was they kept um, adding in more sharing. And I'm like, I don't want to share my photo library at all. Right. But now they've refined it a little bit. And I, after Linux fest, I found it to be really kind of neat. So first of all, it's doing facial recognition, just like Facebook does, but it's not asking you to tag them. It just says, would you like to share this album with the people I found in the photo? And then it lists the people so you can yeah. make sure it's not... And it, and it shows you like their G plus icons or whatever. So okay. it's like whatever they're... So like I saw sure. uh, Emma yeah. and uh, a couple of like a couple of others that were at their Linux Fest barbecue mm-hmm. showed up like uh, like those little icons under the album that I could share with them. And then it said, would you like to set up a partner account? So this is like a spouse or another family member or a significant other and you share it with them and then you can say... Only share certain photos, share everything, mm-hmm. uh, share only stuff starting since I did this. Right. And uh, it'll also uh, automatically group uh, different people you might want to share with in the future. Now, at first, I didn't like these features. But with this, with the recent refinements, it's actually getting where it's not like super heavy handed. Mm-hmm. It's just here's the suggestion button. If you want to tap it, I'll just take care of the details is basically how it's implemented now. Instead of share your photos, share right. your photos, tag your friends. It's not doing that. This it feels like though there's going to be a, a mass batch of pictures sent you know to everybody in your contact list you know and <laughs> once you have like Google, uh, G plus you know every at one point it added everybody in G plus mm-hmm. to my f- mm-hmm. phone book like mm-hmm. what you know it doesn't like you have eighteen thousand followers on G plus <laughs> that would, not would be that. horrible yeah. I, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm cautiously re-experimenting with it again too, because Hadia needs a solution for all of her photos. And so if she's going to be on there too, then I'm like, ah, maybe I'll use the shared album feature thingy. I like the auto backup. Um, so I, I don't know. So it's tough for me. It's a tough one. The other thing I guess that I would consider so much data is that hopefully if, and when I get this new SE coming out, (laughs) the five SE, will it be a five SE or will it be? I think they just call it iPhone SE. Okay. Well, Regardless, the small form factor phone, <laughs> the next one that comes out, it's going to have a better camera, I imagine, mm-hmm, right? Because mm-hmm, my phone's, sure. what, two or three years old now. Yeah. And so the f- files are going to be bigger. Yep. And if I were to use this, this is one of the biggest things that turns me off of iCloud and streaming is it then has to use my data. Mm-hmm. And if it starts transmitting immediately no, for you a can picture tell it, that I... You can tell it to only back up one on Wi-Fi. Oh, okay. So yeah. Well, but, that's good. Yeah, or you know, you could do what I what I had done in the past is I had a I had a MacBook that I would sync all of my iPhone photos to, and I would just when I was booting into Mac OS, I just had the backup utility in the background just offload them from my computer. So I didn't even load it on my phone. Hmm. I synced them to the computer, and then I had the computer upload them. Oh, I see. So that all the, but you could do it either way. It's kind of nice to have it on the phone because then you can search for photos on your phone, and yeah. as you know, it's just got 
crazy killer search. It's just yeah. ridiculous. But you know, like people come to me, come to me, and I'll, I'll just show them. Like boom, like look at this. Boom, dog picture. Boom. Dog Fisher? Dog picture. Boom. Oh. Wow. Boom. Dog picture. Boom. Wow. Poo. Pow. Boom. Cat picture. It's like yeah. you just put the searches in there. Last night, Hadia was setting up, a, she was updating her website. She's like, Do you have a wider picture? Of, like, you know, I'm like, Oh, yeah, let me go to a boom. You pull up all the pictures of Hadia. Here, here's Hadia on a swing. Pow. Picture of Hadia on a swing. Like, it was just ridiculous. It was just so high tech. And I'm like, That is so nice because that picture was over a year old. Mm-hmm. I don't know where. I don't know. I would have had to scroll for days to yeah. find that. Yeah. Well, and you've never been super good about time no or organizing them because usually you know every organizing system i've ever put together like keywords or tags or identified faces always eventually gone away when i sure yeah i moved programs photos yeah photos stopped using stopped making that easy so i stopped tagging like four years ago or something and i can't find anything this is an area where google could really uh i think clean up the market and it's mm-hmm. so much data because now like they have they have all of the metadata in the photo mm-hmm. which includes gps location and then they have all of the faces in the photo so now they know i was at a barbecue with emma who is normally in colorado so we might not cross on our in our in our google social graphs but now <laughs> now it knows that there's a connection there mm-hmm. and they wouldn't have got that from me other because she and i talk on telegram we never talk across google services right so it would be really kind of impossible for google to have that data point except for now it's got that photo on there right which i found I, but again i found it super useful for linux fest let's talk about android p that also got a little more details we didn't get the name though nope i know i actually uh, the next day i googled <laughs> what is android android p and <laughs> you know. i couldn't find anything but i did find that that there's been a subtle hint of pineapple upside down cake i'll take it yeah. I, I love me some pineapple upside down uh, there's a lot of well-being type features, digital wellness, uh, which was a li- I was a little off the mark. I thought it'd be more about privacy, but it was more about well-being and giving yourself uh, uh, like limits on your phone is really kind of the angle they're they're going with, with Android P. They have a dashboard now that will tell you how often and how long you're using every app on your phone. It'll also allow you to set limits yourself. So you could say, give yourself a half hour Instagram yes. limit. Genius. And then after your 30 minutes is up, the icon for Instagram changes to a dull grayscale. Oh my gosh, that's funny. You like that, huh? That's great. Yeah, actually, I uh, in iOS, they have this already. Not the limiting, but I could see how long actively yeah, right. I was in. Right. It shows actively or passively, yeah. which is kind of nice because I play music all the time. And also how much battery those apps were using. So. This is like a full-on like pie chart kind of dashboard. It'll show you how many Ooh. minutes you've used your phone overall per day, how many notifications you receive that day. Ooh, you should do that. That for would a day. be interesting. Yeah, a pie chart on how long you've used each app on your phone that day, and how long per day you've used each app on your phone, broken down by hour. And you also got to figure that Google's going to have all this information. You know, so this is a nice. This little... is not like something that you need for every day. Mm-mm. You know, this is for occasional. Like for example, I have automatic in my car. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. I check it occasionally when mm-hmm. I'm feeling stressed. Mm-hmm. My score will reflect that, <laughs> and I'll be like, okay. I need to slow down. I need to be more calm when I drive or I need to go see a therapist, you know, something like You could tell so just by looking at your There stats. is something, but like this now is Google a cool, can too. Yeah, it's a cool it's a cool geeky feature, but I don't know how practical it is in everyday use. So the the grayscaling stuff, it, it's it's more than just the icons. Uh, so there's also a new feature called wind down. When you turn it on, it'll tell you when to go to bed. Nice. And Based on what? I, well, I guess when you tell it to. It start, oh, starts okay. yelling at you when you tell it to. Oh. And then when your bedtime arrives, your phone will automatically go into do not disturb mode, and it'll go grayscale, 
The whole thing. That whole would be phone. annoying. <laughs> uh, no color at all. You know how much I like grayscale. And then, yeah. And then uh, you'll get a reminder that you're breaking your promise. <laughs> a visual stark reminder that you're breaking your promise to yourself and that you should go to sleep. This feels like a, a little path heavy to though. emotional um, connections to inanimate objects. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. It's like, yeah. Google says that their uh, their whole their whole focus here was to try to get – in fact, they, they came up with a new catchphrase, uh, let Google do it or make Google do it, have Google do it. I can't remember what it was. Uh, but the idea is, is instead of you worrying about it, let Google worry about it. Brainwashing. Yeah, is what it seems like. Um, yeah, okay. Also, D&D goes even further now. Uh, you literally just will not see notifications. It's not even that they won't make noise. They won't even show up like on the desk. Oh, wow. Like it'll block banners and mm-hmm. stuff? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually reading a book called You're Already Hypnotized. Oh, yeah. I'm just starting it today, but so I don't really have much to re- say about it at Wake the moment. Wake up, fools. Yeah. Wake up. Okay, so now we just have, uh, we, we're almost done with the Google I.O. stuff. There's obviously, I, we could have done a daily show. There's so much. But there was there was the the big tech demo that everybody's talking about, and it's Google Duplex. And it is truly, truly remarkable. It's one of the few times when you're watching a keynote and you have that holy shit moment. I remember one of the last times I felt this way was when I saw Steve Jobs introduce the iPhone and it was all glass and there was no stylus. And I remember walking away from that keynote going, yeah, that whole all glass, no stylus thing, that's going to definitely be the future of smartphones. They nailed that. And watching this keynote Duplex is a huge part of Google's future, and they just nailed it. So I want to give you a demo. These are off of Google's website. This is Duplex making a phone call. How can I help you? Hi, I'm calling to book a women's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Now, as you're probably guessing, one of these two ladies is a robot. Huh. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. What time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like. What service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay. We have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. So you say to your phone, hey, Googs, set up a hair appointment at my favorite place. Well, your favorite place doesn't have a website because it's some small town uh, haircut place, mom and pop shop. 60% of small businesses don't have a website. Mm -hmm. So instead of uh, Google trying to get them to create websites, they're creating an AI that can have phone conversations. I could tell by her yeah. inflection, and, mm-hmm. you know, but it was pretty good. I mean, she's doing mm-hmms. Yeah. Mm, uh, I mean, she's yeah. doing all of it. Yeah. Now, so that's a pretty straightforward call. Listen to how a more challenging call goes. See how may I hear you? Hi. Um, I'd like to reserve a table for Wednesday the 7th. For seven people? Um, it's for four people. You see how it handles that curveball? Yeah. That's a huge curve there. She misunderstood the date for the amount of people. Yeah. And then he does an appropriate pause um, and, and he thinks about it. it. Yeah. And, and, and the voice, too. Like, we shouldn't lose track of how good the voice actually sounds. For seven people? 
Um, it's for four people. Four people when? Um, Day, next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Oh, actually, we leave here for like upper like five people. For few, four people, you can come. How long is the wait usually to uh, be seated? For when tomorrow or weekday or? For next Wednesday, uh, the seventh. Oh no, it's not too busy. You 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 can come for four people, okay? Oh, I got gotcha. you. Thanks. Yep. Bye bye. I see. Okay, so he. She said you can't make a reservation, yeah. which I did not get until yeah. I tried to figure out why he said how long is the wait usually. Holy crap. Yeah. Isn't that good? I was really, really, really impressed. So that's the problem with Googs is that's the kind of feature you're not going to be able to say, okay, Google, book me a haircut appointment for years, I bet. I bet you that's a, a minimum a year away. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many things that they have to deal with. Right now, the, the headlines are all people are – actually, this is the headline – Google grapples with horrifying reaction to uncanny AI tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the headline. Because people are saying, well, it's doing those ums and those ahs to fool the person on the other end of the phone, to trick them into thinking they're talking to a human being. You're intentionally misleading the other person you're talking to. I don't know if I believe Well, why doesn't that. it start out with, say, hello, my name is Google Assistant, and I am booking on the behalf of Christopher Fisher. Because they would probably hang up. And yeah, that's what Google says. That's call. exactly yeah. what Google says. Yeah. But you know what all I can think of is in this is, uh, you know, when I call in an order... Fill your belly. <laughs> you know, that yeah. guy, his accent is yeah. so thick. They should thick. cry it on him. Yeah. They and actually, her accent was thick too. They but... did it on some thick ones. They have some yeah. more demos. So I'll tell you how you're going to see this roll out almost probably sooner than you realize. It could begin to happen. It may already be happening, actually. Well, it's... they're using this for dating apps. No, just kidding. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I well, wouldn't be surprised. I... Well, think about this, too, just as a side tangent. Um, especially after I play this next one, if we're gonna, if we're gonna start having bots call people, then people are gonna start having bots answer the phone, and you're gonna start having bots talk to bots. Oh my gosh! <laughs> right. So now this is probably how you're gonna start seeing Google Duplex go into production very, very soon. Is Google can use this on a very, very, very large scale effectively starting tomorrow, and all they have to do is just start making the Google Maps hour predictions more accurate. And if they can have Duplex call a business and ask for its hours, it can then update Google Maps's little hour thing when you search for a place to tell you if it's open or not, and it you can update it once instead of person and have and, it, and then everybody gets that right. So and here's how that'll sound. How can I help you? Hello. Hello, what's up, man? Hey, um, I wanted to know what are your hours for today? 10 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. Okay, got it. Thank you for your time. No problem, sir. Bye. So if you answer the phone for wherever you work and you get a call like that, mm-hmm. you may have just talked to a Google robot. This is just getting kind of crazy. Yeah, and it can even handle interruptions. So if you start talking when it's talking, it'll stop and it'll listen to what you say and restate. Okay, what's your phone number? The phone number is um six o seven. Wait, wait, can you start over? The number is six o seven. Uh huh. Two two three. Two two what? Two two three. Okay, two two three. Isn't that good? Wow. Yeah. You can tell it's robotic, but yeah. it's not messing up. 
And uh, I think that's a massive innovation that really only Google can do at this scale because they've got Google Voice, they've got Google Maps, they've got the super long-term research and development into AI and machine learning that they're putting all this together so that way we can have robots place uh, dinner reservations for us so (laughs) we don't have to talk to humans. The only irony I see in all of this is you're already holding your phone and turning on the screen to bark at Google Assistant. It would literally be one more tap to just make the phone call. Unless there, (laughs) no, unless there was not an opening. Yeah, I mean. If you don't have time to sit there and figure out. Well, and think about this too. Like, think about the epic levels you could take this. If you could say, hey, Googs, schedule a dinner with Angela, Hadia, my dad and Noah or something like you get a whole bunch of people in that are everybody's in town. And we want to get a big dinner going, right? You could have the assistant take care of, oh, he's not available until six. She's not available until five thirty, and she actually can't do, you know, like Google assistant could do all the little fiddly details, call everybody, get it all lined up or just put it right on our calendars. And then, you know, all I had to say was schedule something. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, two hours later, I look at my phone and there's a, there's a calendar appointment for dinner. That would be game changing. Yep. And that seems like where it's going. And unless unless we all have to rip these things out of our devices, because there's another story this week from the New York Times about research out of China that can issue commands to all of the lady tubes using ultrasonic frequencies. So you can't hear that you can't hear them. And they've tested this on all three major assistants. Now, we've talked about in the past about the ability to do this while it was embedded inside other sounds. Mm hmm. That's not totally new. So you could you would play you would play one thing and embedded in that sound was the actual command. So you might be thinking you're listening to music, but warbled in there and you could hear something was warbly was actual commands to the lady tube. But now they can do it with no other sounds. So it's completely silent using ultrasonic waves. And it was a research that was jointly done in Princeton University and I think it's Zichang. I'm sure I'm getting that wrong out of China because I don't pronounce, uh, but this is tech. This technique you, is being called the dolphin attack, and it instructs smart devices to visit malicious websites, initiate phone calls, take a picture, send a text message. The only limitation is the transmitter has to be fairly close to the receiving device, so you got to be within a certain range for the ultrasonic sounds to make it. Is it considered a hack? Do you think? Well, because it could be or used. fishing? Like, you know, what would be the best term to describe this as? I think about it like this. Uh, so we ha- in the studio here, we have a lady tube, and uh, we have a window that I, I have frequently open during the day. Somebody could, from the backyard, probably trigger our lady tube. Mm-hmm. You could, like, take us off the air with that. Hmm. You know, you could tell it to, there's a command that would actually turn off the gear in the studio. Hmm. Um, and some people have smart locks, so you could, in theory, unlock a door, and the person in the house would never hear you do it. Depending ah. on how close the tube is to the window. Sure. And uh, Amazon today or yesterday, s- since our last episode, released a whole bunch of information about Echo for Business, mm-hmm. where they're trying to get the Echo integrated into people's businesses. Mm-hmm. Eh, that starts to, then you're in a conference Breakdown, room. Breakdown, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ultrasonic spying. And um, the other thing is, is you also have to keep in mind that these things are not like omni powerful. Like it, it can't. It can't do everything. Like it can't. It can't spin up the warp core and uh, and uh, turn on uh, self destruct mode. Warning. Warp core breach a lot sooner than you think. Like it is limited in what these lady tubes are capable of. But as they add more capabilities, it it should be possible that, or at least it should become a concern that it, this is an exploit. It seems to me, yes, because these are getting built into more and more devices. They're in televisions. They're in lamps. They're in light switches, and they're in more and basically every modern phone. I think it is a hack. I think it is a hack because you can issue commands to your phone without the operator knowing it. 
Right. Speaking of smart speakers. It's time for our Kickstarter of the week. And this one's called The Speakeasy by Como. Hello, Kickstarter fans. I'm here today to tell you about a new product that we're going to bring to market. Hey, Google, turn up the music. The Speakeasy is it's like a wood box, like a more traditional looking speaker. It's got 151 backers with 20 days left to go. They're at 39,000. They're trying to get to 50,000, mm-hmm. but they're doing pretty good. Yeah. The trend is good. And they say that they've gone above and beyond. Instead of just making a regular old speaker, they've made a really good speaker because they know how to build them. Although the way musical content delivery has changed over the years, basic acoustics have not changed. You still need to have a robust cabinet. You still need to have a powerful amplifier and very good loudspeakers. So we've packaged all these together in the traditional way of Como Audio in a very nice little package that has beautiful wood furniture, has a display so that you can look at it and tell what time it is, has a battery option so you can take it to your terrace or take it from room to room, has Bluetooth, so you can Bluetooth from your phone or computer or other device to it, should you wish. Although Speakeasy, as a single speaker, will fill a room with music, the ability to add a second speaker so that you have a really wide stage makes this rather unique, and the built-in 30-watt amplifier in Speakeasy allows you to do that by simply plugging in the speaker. Yeah, I like the idea there. It's it's a it's a revolutionary idea in the smart speaker industry. You can hook up another speaker by plugging in a wire. <laughs> Blew my mind when I heard that. I hanging off the back of this thing. They've got a speaker out, a USB port, and get ready for this also a jack in port. Isn't that remarkable? Mm. Uh, the idea here being that. You want a great speaker, and you're not getting it with Google Assistant, I don't think, because you're all in on the Google ecosystem. The way they kind of pitch it as, well, we focused on a great speaker, and now Google's providing the software layer so you can do streaming music for any of the streaming platforms that Google Assistant supports. And you can get a Chromecast audio, and you can do streaming synchronized audio around your whole house. You can hook it up to any speaker. Plus, you can wire a speaker into this thing. And, oh, by the way, it sounds great. Mm Mm-hmm. I kind of like that pitch. Yeah. It's just a little expensive. And, of course, anything like this that's been really well-crafted is going to be expensive. But I think it's going to be around $299, somewhere $450 when it ships. Yeah. Do you remember how much the jam box cost? I can't remember. It wasn't super cheap either when the jam box first. Yeah. yeah it was like $199 I, yeah. or something Oh, like was that. it? Oh, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. If they have a they have an early bird price for $219. There's seven... Uh, mm-hmm. Oh no, there's a, there's a few spots, about about eight spots left for the two, for the two hundred nineteen dollar edition. Now, I am a fan of good audio. Yes, I think this would be right up your alley. It is. It is right up my alley. Wait, but do you use Google Assistant? No, and I would so consider you, trying it. Would it work without Google Assistant? It has Bluetooth and stuff. Right, so it could just play music, but you wouldn't be able yeah. to say play jazz. Well, I why not? Or turn it I down. mean, you would use it, right? Because that's you how would, you. Oh, that's you how you able. do it. Yeah. Okay. And, I mean, that's just sort of how you're supposed to use it, I suppose. The thing is, uh, Google Assistant's in this weird, awkward phase right now, where I think it's going to become extremely visual. So Google Assistant's built into speakers with no screens, and um, and then they're starting to add it to televisions, and in July. Lenovo is going to start shipping a Google Assistant with a with a ten inch screen, and mm. uh, like you have you have some Echoes now that have screens, mm-hmm. like the Echo Show, and I think that's probably the way to go because Google's going to go all in. I think on the screens with Google Assistant, and so they'll we'll look back at these at these 
uh, devices that have assistant built in in a couple of years and go, oh yeah, that was the pre-screen stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. But I think that's really where Google's going to be able to differentiate because when you search for something on Google, a lot of times you see those Google knowledge boxes come up right underneath your search results. Mm-hmm. They can display that on every assistant. See, that's all that's all already built for assistant. So just in the future, you'll need a screen assistant to assist with your. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> just hook it up. <laughs> yeah. So the timing's a little rough because you could pay less. The Lenovo one's going to be two ninety nine, mm-hmm. which is less than they're going to be charging for this thing. And it's going to come with a screen. But this is going to have good audio. If you're okay with mono, if you want stereo, then you got to hook up a second speaker, which is really raising the price. Mm, you know, I mean, do that's, they that's sell just stuff. the second speaker or do you have to buy a sec- a whole second device? They are just a standard speaker company. So you could buy one of their Como standard uh-huh. non-smart speakers. That's see, that's something I think people should appreciate about mm-hmm. uh, about this is it does take some experience to build a decent speaker. And so this is a company that knows how to make good audio. Mm-hmm. That did not bear true with the Sonos. The Sonoses are considered to be pretty good devices. I, I do not recommend the Sonos One to anyone unless you want it just to stream music. Uh, the the, the uh, echo functionality is pathetic. It has it lacks ninety eight percent of the regular echo dot functionality that you could get in a thirty dollar puck. But that's not the same with Google Assistant. It's a slightly different architecture, and so you get more functionality on these third party devices. And they are having a massive explosion right now in third party devices. But this is a truly kind of unique, esoteric one. It would be kind of a one-off custom device, which is also kind of cool about it. So it's called the Speakeasy, which is a great name, and it comes in several different colors. Walnut is probably the most uh, pronounced finish that they show in their in their stuff, but they also have Hickory, Piano Black, and Piano White. Mm-hmm. You should get one, Ange. I, I am waiting for you to have a reason to get assist to get some sort of I assistant know. or something, because then it'll be hilarious watching the kids troll it when I'm over. I know. I think <laughs> I think I'm still a, a couple years away from that. Yeah, you got to get your phone syncing situation figured out, right? First. Yeah, that first. <laughs> all right. Well, get more of us. Go to techtalk.today slash subscribe for all the different ways to get this show. Follow Angers on the Twitter. She is. I am at Angers A N G E R Z, and I am at Chris L A S, and we're still putting a call out there. We announced it in last episode. We'll be collecting them for the next couple of days for your ideas for the best-selling Jupiter Broadcasting book of all time. Like, what is the nitty-gritty behind-the-scenes story that we should tell in a book? Also, bonus points if you have a great book title. Yes. TechTalk.today slash contact or Angers on Twitter if you want to send a short one or at Angela at Jupiter Broadcasting if you want to send a long one, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose. That worked too. Yeah. All right, Angers, is there anything else we need to cover before we get out of here? Done. All right. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Tech Talk, and we will see you next week. week.